In the name of Christ our Lord, we are here because Christ has called us to come and know him as we worship as the body of Christ this morning. It is a great joy to be with you, to begin this time of worship with you, to know your presence here as the body of Christ. As we gather, we are especially grateful for those who may be visiting, for our guests. You bless us with your presence. We pray this is a blessed time for us all. And I would just remind you of the registration pads that we find to our right or left. We invite you to fill those up. It helps us to know of you sharing in worship, to pass those to your neighbors. Uh, also, we are mindful of opportunities before us in this coming week. You notice that our worship committee will meet on Wednesday afternoon. And we would especially lift to your attention a week from today, following this time of worship in the Uptown Ministry Center, we will be gathered for the annual Super Bowl and birthday bash. Uh, if you would like to contribute a soup to the Super Bowl, uh, please let Annette Huckfelt know. We could still use some soup. Uh, it's also an opportunity to gather around the tables with others who share our birthday months. It is also a mission fundraiser. Uh, it's a great time of, of gathering and fellowship. I look forward to sharing with you in that event next Sunday. It will also be opportunity for us to meet Matthew Hoover. Matthew will be the new director of youth and children's ministries here at First Church, uh, and his first day here will be next Sunday, and we look forward to sharing in ministry with Matthew beginning next week. Do give attention to these other opportunities are the, as they are before us in our bulletins, and the scripture before us may be a little too small for us to see on our bulletins, but it is from Isaiah, the 61st chapter. It is scripture that Jesus will cite we will hear his first sermon and the response to that uh, sermon delivered at the synagogue in Nazareth. We prepare to worship God together.
Our call to worship is before us. I invite us to stand and we will share in the first line of this call together. We come to worship Christ, who proclaims good news to the poor, binds up the brokenhearted, frees the prisoner, and comforts those who mourn. We come to worship Christ, who bestows a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. We come to worship Christ, who rebuilds ancient ruins. invite us to go to God with our opening prayer as it is before us. Let us pray. God of every land and nation, you have created all people, and you dwell among us in Jesus Christ. Listen to the cries of those who pray to you, and grant that as we proclaim the greatness of your name, all people will know your power of love at work in the world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. We prepare to share the word of God from Isaiah, the 61st chapter, a word picked up by Jesus as he shares his first sermon. First we pray. Lord, gather us, nurture us, feed us, inspire us with the gift of your word. 
May we be strengthened. May we be drawn closer to you. May we know again your gift of abundant life, the promise of eternal life. In Christ we pray. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of our Lord. And we proclaim this word as we find it in the 19th Psalm, number 750. We will share responsibly in proclaiming this word, and we will share in singing the first response, which we will hear from our choir. heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the in them God has set a tent for the sun, which comes forth like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and runs its course with joy like a strong man. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing new from its Perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter 
by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Also keep your servant from the insolent. Let them not have dominion over me. from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. We hear the word of God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the organs in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single organ, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body which we think less honorable, we invest with a greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has, has so composed the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior part, that there may be no discord in the body. <laughs> but I'm sorry. I'm just waiting for the anvil chorus here. Uh, But God has so composed the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior part, that there may be no discord in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one... <laughs> well, at least the roof's still intact. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, then healers, helpers, administrators, speakers in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. 
This is the word of our Lord. And we worship. being told the boiler was off. Uh, it has come on, which is, I guess, why we're hearing the noise. 
the Wes is going to turn it off. So, thank you, Wes, for your service. <laughs> Welcome, children. Good to be with you. How are you this morning? Good. A little chilly out there this morning? Yeah. Well, we're, we're fortunate we're in this place of, of warmth, and, and God has provided for us to, with jackets and coats and so forth to keep us, keep us all warm. Let me ask a question. How many of you like reading? Like reading. Do you have a bunch of books at home? Bunch of books? Well, I brought some books with me this morning, too. I've got, as a matter of fact, I have 66 books here. Did you know that? Did you know that I've got 66 books? No? Does this look like 66 books? No? No? Yes? Do you know why I say this is 66 books? Okay. Okay. Right. We, I mean, the Bible, we say, is, is one book, but actually the Bible is made up of many books. It is made up, as we have said, of how many different writings? 66 writings. What, what are some of those, those writings? Just Can you think of any of those? I'm sorry? Matthew, Adam and Eve, and, and the book of Genesis. We, we've got different writings in here, different books. We have history. We have the Gospels. We're going to hear from the Gospel of Luke shortly. We heard from one of the prophets, the prophet Isaiah. We also have some, um, some law, such as Leviticus. We have music. We have songs from the book of Psalms. We have wisdom sayings in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we, we hear from the book of Acts, which is about the history of the early church. So in this one book, there are 66 different writings. Now, we might think, wow, that's, that's a lot of different writings, and, and that's true, but they all have one thing in common. They all point us toward God. And each of these different writings point us towards God's love for us all. So though we may hear from law, prophets, poetry, wisdom, history, it's all gathered within the purposes of God to save us and claim us as God's own. So I, I've always enjoyed reading, and, I, and I'm grateful to still to have a, a bunch of books and still to enjoy reading, and I'm especially grateful that within the church, within the body of Christ, we share in the writings that witness to God's love for us all, and that we're able to, to share that this morning and able to read that always. So thank you for your attention to God's word and for your faithfulness in worship, and I'm going to ask us to go to God as we pray and, and ask you to repeat after me. We thank you, God, for your love, a love revealed in your word. We thank you for your word as we share it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, children.
From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, we hear the word of God. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And he went to the synagogue, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here also in your own country. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and put him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down headlong. But passing through the midst of them, he went away. This is the word of our Lord. Well, I do not know how flattering it is for me to state that my experience with my first sermon is an experience far different from that of Jesus. This is true despite the fact I have preached several first sermons, having served at several churches. Generally speaking, the first sermon I have preached at each church has been graciously received. This is true of First Church here. I fondly remember your kind welcome and gracious affirmation of my first sermon. Thank you. Now, you would think this positive experience of the first sermon is Jesus' experience. It is true, initially, his is a positive experience. Jesus is known by this crowd. We are told he took up and read the scroll, as was his custom. He reads from the prophet Isaiah, one of the servant passages. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Jesus rolls up the scroll, hands it to the attendant, sits down. All eyes fixed on him, Jesus says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So to this point, Jesus' first sermon goes well. If only Jesus stopped here. But we notice Jesus does not stop here because he cannot stop here and be faithful to what God has sent him to do. You see, what Jesus does with this first sermon is preaches, I have a dream sermon. What I mean is this is a sermon in which Jesus, like Martin Luther King Jr. many years later, cast his grand vision for God's future. Jesus, with his initial sermon, sets out the vision for his ministry, declares the course his ministry shall take. Well, I've heard other clergy state, a pastor's first sermon should be such an I-have-a-dream sermon. This is an opportune time to declare your vision for ministry, they say. Plus, everyone's going to be here that first Sunday to hear the new pastor. You may never see these people again. <laughs> so we see Jesus preaching his I Have a Dream sermon. And to a point, all is well. But Jesus hasn't finished. He goes on to tell of God's prophet Elijah caring for a widow in the land of Zarephath. He tells of God's prophet Elisha, healing a leper from the land of Syria. And we notice nobody says amen. Far from it. And the truth is, this, this angry response to Jesus from those in the synagogue in Nazareth that day is puzzling. I say this because Jesus preaches from their Bible. He preaches scripture they know, scripture they have been taught. That is to say, Jesus is not standing before those in the synagogue voicing his opinions. Jesus is not giving instruction. He is not telling them what they should do. He simply shares from what all agree is the word of God. From the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. When Elijah was prophet of God, there was great famine among God's people. Yet amongst all these people, Elijah is sent to minister to no one except a widow in the distant land of Zarephath. From the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. When Elisha was prophet of God, there was a great outbreak of leprosy throughout the land. Yet Elisha was sent by the Lord to cure no one except Naaman, a soldier from the foreign land of Syria. Two passages from the Bible. No opinions from Jesus, no instructions, just the word of God, again, 
Why do the people in the synagogue that day respond to Jesus as they do? Why, as this scripture tells us, are they filled with wrath? Why do they rise up to put Jesus out of the city, leading him to the brow of a hill that they might throw him down headlong? He's preaching the Word of God, preaching from their Bible. So why not rejoice? Why not respond to the Word of God with thanks be to God? Well, could it be there are those things we love in theory, but despise in practice? My first appointment as a pastor was to serve two churches in the northern neck of Virginia, where the Potomac River runs into the Chesapeake Bay. While I was pastor there, the bishop of the Virginia Conference, Robert Blackburn, initiated a program by which he hoped to launch new churches throughout the conference. To promote this initiative, a pulpit exchange was established. This meant that on a certain Sunday, pastors would exchange pulpits, would preach in each other's church. The rationale being this would be a great opportunity for those in the churches finally to hear someone other than their own preacher. So the designated Sunday arrived. As assigned by my district superintendent, I traveled to nearby Galilee Church to worship, to encourage the faithful, to support the bishop's plan, to build new churches. I remember my time at Galilee Church fondly, and the congregation was welcoming, friendly, supportive. At the same time, the pastor of Galilee Church, the Reverend Myrtle Francis Johnson, traveled to the churches I served to lead worship and lend her support to the bishop's initiative. At one of my churches, the Reverend Johnson received a friendly welcome. But following the conclusion of worship at that church, as she drove to the other church I served, she would pass by cars leaving that church after Sunday school, cars driven by those who would not think of staying for a service of worship led by a black woman. Now, no doubt, those in that church would say, God loves everyone. No doubt, they had sung many times, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. No doubt, those in the church had read, had heard these words of Scripture. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Could it be there are those things wonderful in theory, but offensive in practice? Is that the problem with Jesus' first sermon in Nazareth? Again, Jesus was not preaching scripture the faithful did not know. 
He was not trying to be clever. He was not trying to be contemporary or hip. He's being faithful in every way, affirming the Sabbath, affirming the synagogue, affirming Scripture. And the response to all of this, kill the preacher. But he is doing what any pastoral search committee, any pulpit committee, any staff parish relations committee would say they desire. He's preaching from the Bible. Maybe that's the problem. Because of the many truths to which the Bible witnesses, it offers these truths. God sent Jesus to seek and save the outsider. God forgives the sinner 70 times 7. God seeks those who need healing, not those who are already well. And there is also this, not only does God tell us to love our enemies, God already loves our enemies. Not only does God tell us to pray for those who persecute us, God by His Spirit prays for those who persecute us. A troubling and disturbing God this God to which the word of God witnesses. A troubling God before us this morning, a God so extravagant with his grace. Luke, the evangelist who alone tells us of Jesus' first sermon being a near-death experience, appears especially sensitive to this prodigal grace of God of how such grace is without boundary or condition, how such grace relentlessly reaches to draw all within its embrace. You see, it's Luke who tells us there were two men who went to the temple to pray. One of these men was a, a publican, a tax collector, understood to be an enemy of the people, a social outcast, the other man, a Pharisee, a reputable man, a man contributing much to the social order, a man more than welcome in any of our churches. Yet Luke tells us God sees, God chooses differently than we do. God looks with favor upon the social outcast, the publican, the tax collector. It's Luke who tells us when a certain traveler was nearly killed, as he traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's not the respectable priest who treats the traveler appropriately. It's not the good and faithful Levite. Instead, according to Luke, the one who shows behavior that is pleasing to God to this half-dead traveler is a man with whom decent people dare not associate, a hated Samaritan. It's Luke who tells us when the younger son of a certain father runs off and wastes the inheritance the father has given him, that when this son returns, rather than condemn him with finger-pointing fury, the father does what? Throws the most extravagant of parties. Of course, not everyone, such as us older brother types, is happy with the gracious behavior of his father. 
And Luke is far from finished witnessing to this boundless grace of God, a grace shown to the widow of a foreign nation of Zarephath, to Naaman, a soldier from distant Syria. For Luke tells not only the ministry of Jesus, he tells of the ministry of those who follow Jesus following his ascension into heaven. You see, Luke gives to us the book of Acts. And in that writing, Luke continues with this witness to this language-defying grace of God. Luke tells of a eunuch far from the ends of the earth, a man who, according to Scripture, has no business among the people of God. But a eunuch who nonetheless is baptized by an apostle of Jesus named Philip. Then at a church conference in Jerusalem, following a vision in which God tells the apostle Peter three times, don't call unclean what I declare to be clean, it's then the church of the risen Christ declares, Gentiles, non-Jews, are as welcome among the people of God as anyone else, period. You know, when I first came to know of the love of God, when I first came to experience God's love through his saints, through those within this body of Christ, I thought, how wonderful is this grace of God. How wonderful is this unmerited love and favor. How wonderful it is that despite all my unworthiness, I matter to God. What I would be slower to discover is that this same grace of God, a grace I so gladly declared to be so wonderful, is a grace I would also discover to be quite offensive. Those people in the synagogue that Sabbath, those hearing Jesus' first sermon, are quicker to discover the offense of the grace of God than I. You see, we may believe the grace of God to be a wonderful thing when it's shown to us, but when that same grace is shown to those unlike us, to those we see as enemies, when we discover God loves these outsiders as much as God loves us, it may be too much to bear. It may be so offensive, we wish to kill the one who would tell us such a thing. This is the problem before these worshipers in the synagogue that Sabbath. Accepting the news that God loves these outsiders the widow in Zarephath, the Syrian soldier, just as much as he loves us. Offensive news that God loves these outsiders. And as tempting as we may find it to be, I'm not going to fuss at these gathered in the synagogue that Sabbath. I'm not convinced they are so different from you and me. I only wish they knew this. As I hope you and I know this. We're all outsiders. Not a one of us is entitled to the love of God. Not one of us here this morning is deserving of the favor of God. None of us 
regardless of wealth, prestige, accomplishment, name, is entitled to the grace of God any more than anyone else. None of us deserves it, none of us earns it, but God gives it to all of us. Foreign widows, foreign soldiers, those not of the covenant, outsiders, all of us. Because the Lord has anointed him to bring good tidings to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to all of us, outsiders all. Amen. We respond to the word as we affirm our scripture from 1 Timothy number 889. Let us stand. There is one God and there is one mediator, Christ Jesus, who came as a ransom for all to whom we testify. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. And as we stand, we welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ. As we find our places, we worship God as we receive his tithes and our offerings as our ushers come forward.
Let us pray. Lord, so extravagant is your grace, you give to us even your Son for our salvation. You give us this time and place of worship, you give to us all things. And now we return to you but a portion of what you have given to us with a prayer that in your care this accomplishes great things and shares good news for your people. In the name of Christ our Lord.
go to God as we pray. Being those who ask, seek, and knock, and being those who pray without ceasing. As we share in our time of prayer, uh, I will lift up our Bishop uh, Sharma Lewis in prayer. Uh, Bishop Lewis had hip surgery late last year, has had some complications from that surgery, uh, and again had to have surgery this past Friday. Uh, we believe the surgery went well, uh, but we do lift Bishop Lewis before you in this time of prayer. Uh, it is a pattern of prayer in which we will share various petitions, and I will conclude each of these petitions with the words, Lord, in your mercy, invite your response, hear our prayer, invite you to speak those prayers that you feel led to offer at this time. Then we pray as Christ has taught us. Let us pray. Lord, as you have named us and claimed us, as you have saved us and drawn us within your loving embrace, we pray that we would be those who rejoice and seek to be faithful to your call to draw others within your love as well. Help us know that your love is without end, without condition, reaching to all ends of the universe so as to claim all you have made, that you have found us we give you thanks. So lead us, Lord, to find others. Lord, in your mercy. And hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy, hear us as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy, Lord, in your mercy, Hear us as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. For Bishop Lewis, Jeanine Howard, the Ministries of First Church. Pastor Keith and his wife Paula. 
Lord, in your mercy. And hear our prayers gathered with those of your saints, those surrounding us now and lifting our voices, lifting their voices with ours, praying as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Stand as we sing.
We are here because God has found us all. Because God loves us with a love that will not let us go. Because God nourishes us, sustains us each day by his spirit. And now we go forth, sent by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.